Good morning, guys. How you doing today? Good to see you. Good to see you. Hey, um, real quick, if you guys don't know, Growth Track is meeting right now in the living room. If you step straight out those doors, turn left, you'll find Growth Track. No big deal. You're not going to hurt my feelings if you leave right now. That's the best way to get connected to Faith Co. Church. If you're new here, if you're interested in serving, make sure that you go to Growth Track. You have my full blessing to leave service right now. Go straight out those doors, turn left into the living room, and join for Growth Track. Um, But otherwise, we're about to get started for today. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Baylor. I get to serve here at Faith Co. as the Growth Track Coordinator, hence me advertising Growth Track. It's my favorite thing that we do here. I'll dive into that a little bit more later. First thing that I want to do, though, man, I think that it is so important that we honor the spiritual leadership that God has put into our lives. Amen? Yeah, I'm I'm a talk back kind of guy, so you guys are going to need to respond to me or it's going to... It's going to hurt me here. Um, I think it's so important that we honor the spiritual leadership God puts into our lives. So Pastor Travis, if you don't mind, stand up for me. Hey guys, this is your spiritual leader. This is the guy that God has put into your lives. He prays for you. He cares about you. Trust me, I have a very unique perspective in that I live with the guy. I'm his son. And so I, I get to see each and every week the way that he goes to spiritual war for each and every person in this room, even if you don't know him personally, every single week, every single morning, he's praying for you. He's believing in big things for you. Don't sit down. He's going to sit down because he thinks it isn't necessary that he stands up the whole time that I say this. Um, but it is so important that we honor the spiritual leadership in our lives. So if you guys don't mind, let's just take 10 seconds and honor <laughs> Pastor Travis. Thank you. He does not believe in sincere moments. He always has to make it into a joke. It's terrible. I did not get paid to do that. Not, nor would I do it for a dollar. Are you kidding me? This is like the crinkliest dollar I've ever... Okay, moving on, moving on. I'm my father's son. I'm easily distracted. So uh, thank you for doing that for me. We appreciate everything that you do, Pastor Travis. We love you. Um, Real quick, we're gonna dive in. Uh, Today I'm gonna be talking to you in the short time that I have about Gideon. If you've heard the story of Gideon, uh, I mean, if if you've been in church your whole life, you've probably heard the story of Gideon once or twice, maybe 50 times like I have. There's a Veggie Tales about it. It's a very popular story. Um, It's about this this nation of Israel that's that's been captured and dominated by the nation of Midian for the last seven years. They've been dominated. Uh, The the people of the Midianites would regularly come in, destroy crops, kill animals. It was havoc in Israel. So it's all about that. Uh, And then this angel of the Lord comes to this guy Gideon and he's like, God's gonna use you to free his people of Israel. And Gideon's not having it. He writes it off, is even sarcastic with the angel, uh, not really buying it, but eventually he asks for signs, he gets them, and he leads this ragtag group of military men. Well, they're more like farmers and herders and shepherds than actual warriors, but he leads them. And uh, I'll tell you the end of the story later. For now, we're gonna read for a second. Uh, If you've got your Bible, turn to Judges 6 and 12 through 15. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? You can tell uh, Gideon's a little snarky, isn't he? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. 
And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. You know, as humans, we're narrative-driven beings. We see the world around us not through, like, graphs or straight information or instinct the way that other animals do. We see the world around us through examples and through stories. That's how we form opinions. That's how we form our lives based around stories. And perhaps the most popular version of a story is that of the underdog. Humans love an underdog story. We're talking about like David versus Goliath. Literally anyone against the Golden State Warriors at this point. Please God. It's why a lot of you are probably rooting for the Los Angeles Rams today in the Super Bowl. I'm not, but it's probably why a lot of you are. Heck, even our, even our nation has underdog running through its veins. I mean, if you look in history books, the United States had no business beating a world power in England. They were a bunch of colonies of, of, of non-warriors. We love underdogs, and it runs through our veins. I have to think God loves an underdog story, too, because if you read the Bible, it's not a lot of perfect people people that are flawless, going around and doing flawless things. No, God used messed up, broken people, not, not, like, not like unlikely people. God would regularly use the least likely person to fulfill his calling, if you read through the Bible. See, God doesn't want perfect people. And before we do anything today, in the short time, I've got some points, we're gonna get into it, but I want to get this in, and if you get nothing out of today, I want you to understand this. I'm in a prime position for God to use me when I feel like I'm useless. Let's say that together real quick. I think, yeah, it's right up here. Say this with me. I am in a prime position for God to use me when I feel like I'm useless. If you get nothing out of today, understand that because God doesn't want perfect people. God wants people that he can mold. God wants people that are broken, that are messed up, that he can use to create the biggest callings for the biggest stories. If you're taking notes today, this message is called God of the Underdog. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for today. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for the opportunity that you've given me to speak to your people. I pray today that you use your words, not mine, in order to speak to everyone. I thank you so much for everything that we do. I pray for people in here that might feel like that they're underdogs in their situations, in their lives. I pray that you speak into the hearts of people and I pray that you change lives through what Faith Co. Church does today and in the future. We love you more than anything and we worship you. And everyone said, let's go. All right, today I only have three points. Um, We're gonna get to them. I have a very short amount of time. So let's just jump right in. If you're headlining this message, everything is based off this. Remember when you feel like an underdog. Everything comes down to remember when you feel like an underdog, blank. So remember when you feel like an underdog. One, it's not about what you see. It's about what God says. You see, the angel of the Lord said to Gideon, He said, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. A little context, perhaps. It did not feel like the Lord was with Gideon or the Israelites. They'd been dominated for seven years. The Midianites consistently came in, destroyed crops, killed animals. It was havoc in Israel. It was miserable in Israel. And more than that, Gideon was not a mighty man of valor. The dude was a coward. At the time that the angel of the Lord came to him, he was avoiding detection. He was hiding, threshing his wheat in a wine press so that no one could find him, so that the Midianites couldn't find him. So why was God, or it's more specifically the angel of the Lord coming to Gideon and giving him this label? What did he do to deserve that label? It's an honest question. 
Feel free to answer if anyone knows. Nothing. Gideon did nothing to deserve that label, at least not yet. You see, God wasn't so focused on where Gideon was, but where he was going. And in that same way, we have to remember, God is not focused on what has become of me, but what I will become. That's what God cares about. He sees me, and he sees a future. So Gideon kind of spent his life as the weakest guy, weakest tribe, nation in peril. He had no business having a calling in his life. He was a coward. He was conquered. He was beaten down. But here's the thing, and I have to draw this bridge because it's just how people work. Gideon probably wasn't, Gideon probably didn't come to that conclusion on his own. Gideon was probably told that by his community and by his family. His community kind of decided that that family, that tribe was the weakest. And his family probably told him, you know what? You're the weakest of us. And my question for you today is what have you been taught to believe? What have the people around you told you about yourself so much that you've just come to accept it as truth? You know, I teach, I, like I said earlier, I get to teach growth track. It's my favorite thing in the world. If you haven't been a part of growth track, you need to be a part of growth track. That's my plug. I'm done. I'm done trying to advertise growth track. Uh, if, I, I could stand up here and talk about it all day. But one of the like, this is why I love growth track. The hardest thing about growth track that we face, it isn't getting people there. It isn't, it isn't getting them plugged in and getting them serving. The hardest thing that we face in growth track is getting people to tear themselves away from the preconceived notions that they've set up on their own lives. People have been told things their whole lives since they were young and they just believe it. And it's amazing in growth track. You see their eyes light up. You see them... Because their entire lives they've been told things. So whenever they come in, they say stuff like, I'm not good with kids. God could never use me on the worship team. I'm not in a position of leadership. I can't lead a connect group. God doesn't want me here. God doesn't want me there. My question for you today is, what have you been told? Who told you what? What have you said about other people? Have you spoken those words over other people? I want everyone to get something through their heads because we're so stubborn when it comes to this kind of stuff. I am not who others say I am. I'm not even who I say I am, but I am who God says I am. Say that with me. I am not who others say I am. I'm not even who I say I am. I am who God says I am. How dare you or anyone else speak things over your life that is not of God? That's the attitude we need to have. And we need to identify with the word of God. So it starts with identifying what God says. And then we deal with the idea that it's not about me, but who I'm with. In the 25th through 28th verses in chapter 6 of Judges, we find something, it's not talked about very much, but I think it's really, really interesting. Before Gideon can go to war, before he can fulfill this calling that God has put into his life, And a lot of times when people tell this story, they skip over it. The angel of the Lord instructed Gideon, hey, before you do anything, that shrine to pagan gods that your dad put up, you're going to have to tear that down and build an altar to God. And whenever I first read that, I was like, man, God, I get it. I get the symbolism of the thing. We got a war to fight, man. We got places to be. And you might be sitting there thinking, 
Baylor, I mean, what, why is this relevant to me? It's an altar. We're talking about statues and altars and idols, and we don't really do that in the modern day. Here's the significance that I drew from it. God isn't going to leave you where you are. When you decide to make a decision to follow God, you're not going to be allowed to stay where you were before. Let me explain a little more in depth of what I mean by that. God loves you unconditionally. His forgiveness is boundless. There's literally not one thing that you can do that will make God love you less. But when you give your life to Christ, you are accepting a mandate that does not allow for you to be stagnant. God hears your cries. God comes to you. God saves you. But God ignores your excuses, guys. Here's your cries, ignores your excuses. Salvation and forgiveness are not excuses to live the life that you used to live. Man, I see, I see so many Christians give their lives to Christ, get baptized, be so excited by what God's about to do in their lives, and then they do the exact same things that they did before they were saved. They act the exact same way, make the exact same decisions, and nothing changes. Once you give your life to Christ, you've been set free. You're commissioned to go out into the world, share the love of Jesus, but you're also challenged to live righteously. In Revelation 22 and 11 through 12, it says, let the evildoers still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. A life with God isn't about being perfect. But once you give your life to Christ, you you accept the responsibility of every day waking up and doing your very best to live righteously. And stand alongside God. Those two things go hand in hand. That's why it was so important for that shrine to come down. Because it wasn't just Gideon telling the nation of Israel, hey, we're going to stand with God. He had to go in the face of his family. His father put put that shrine up, mind you. He said, listen, community, nation, family, here we stand alongside God. God. And he stands alongside us. The last thing that we're talking about today is the person that stands alongside of you and what he brings to the table. Because it's not about the faith. It's not about the fight. It's about the faith. See, Gideon was going up against an army of 135,000 fierce warriors and at, his disposal, and at his disposal, he had 22,000 guys who knew how to fight, but they were really more farmers and shepherds than anything. God looked at that and said, hey, uh, that's too many men. What? That's too many men, Gideon. I need less. I don't need that many people to do what I'm going to do. Trim it down. So through a couple processes of elimination, God stripped Gideon's army down to 300. I said 300. I'm, not no, I'm no mathematician, but that's 450 times less than the army of the Midianites had. Okay, well, um, God, what, what do we have to fight with? Here's what you're going to use, Gideon, and your men. I got you. Jars, trumpets, and torches. How about a sword? A machine gun, perhaps? I mean, you transcend time, God. Send me a turret. Some tanks. Okay, well, I mean, like, it's, 
I mean, it, it's crazy, but it's God. So, we've, I mean, we do what God says. Um, I suppose we have a really good plan. Let me tell you what I got for you, Gideon. Here's what you're going to do with your jars, torches, <laughs> and trumpets. Going to get really loud. Smash the jars, yell a lot, blow some trumpets. I can't help but go into the minds of the 300 men that fought alongside Gideon. And like, here's, here's the conclusion I came to. In their minds, they must be, they must be thinking this. <laughs> That's all, no words. Just hyperventilation and stress. So, somehow, some way, they still went. They had the confidence in their God. Maybe they had the confidence in Gideon. I don't know. I wasn't completely in their minds. I just suspect they were hyperventilating. But they did go anyway. They camped outside the outskirts of the group that had kept that people on their toes for the last seven years. Don't miss this. This is Gideon's no one would blame you moment. This is the moment, and you'll face this. Anytime you're about to do something big, Anytime God is calling you to greater things, there will be a moment where the people around you, Christians, friends, family, will look at you and they'll say, man, it's okay. It's unreasonable for anyone to expect this of you. No one would blame you if you threw in the towel. Listen, Gideon, Gideon was standing around the outskirts of a camp holding a trumpet 135,000 fierce warriors and his instructions were to be really loud. Listen, guys, no one would blame Gideon if he gave up. I wouldn't. Would you? I wouldn't. Man, listen, Gideon, we're God's people. We're the Israelites. Someone else can, whoa, whoa. If you don't complete God's calling in your life, guess what? Someone's on their way. If you don't have the stomach, if you don't have the bravery to complete God's calling in your life, you know what? Next one in line. Who's got the stones to get this done? So Gideon stood there, stripped to a jar, a trumpet, and a torch, equipped with the worst military strategy of all time. There's some debate, and then there isn't. And this is not a debate. This is the worst military strategy of all time. Outnumbered, outclassed, outgunned, everything is against him. He stood there with nothing. He's out of moves. He's out of them. There's nothing more he can do. So He has to come to terms with this. And whenever you're an underdog, whenever you don't have a chance, you have to come to terms with this. God, I can't do anything. There's nothing that I can do to fix this situation. I'm out of moves. So I need you to move. Man, I'll get out of the way. I'll get out of the way. I'm gonna let you take care of this. I've got to get myself out of the way in order for God to fulfill his true glory in this situation. Because God, I don't know if you guys know this, but God doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to fulfill this calling. He didn't need Gideon. 
So why? Why is he using people? Why does he use you and 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 you? Why does he use you to fulfill his calling when you're, you're not even necessary to fulfill that glory? I believe it's for two reasons. One, he wants to show his people what he's capable of. He wants to show you that all that praying, all that worshiping, all that struggle has been worth it. But second, I believe he uses those situations to build you. God doesn't lead us into struggles and trials to sabotage us. That's not his MO. God leads us into struggle to strengthen us. That's why he does that. So after all this, Gideon's ready. He's got himself out of the way. He's believing in that mighty man of valor mentality. He's ready. He's taking himself out of the picture. God, we're gonna let you move. But there's one more thing Gideon has to do. And it's the thing I've kind of been poking fun at a little bit. But it's so important. Gideon has to make noise. Gideon has to worship. God says to him, praise me before, have faith in me during, and expect the world out of me, Gideon. Expect me to do more than what you think I'm capable of. After all this, then watch me fix everything. Watch me throw Midian out of the water. And then... You can praise me some more for it. So those 300 men, they smashed jars, blew trumpets, screamed out a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. After all that, they were still probably hyperventilating like, what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? God took hold. That's what happened. The Midianites woke up. They panicked. What's going on? They fight each other. They have an inward civil war. Kill themselves, basically. They all fight each other. The ones that survive flee, and this Midian tyranny is no longer heard of. Understand the significance of a 300-man band coming together, playing some songs, not lifting a sword, and a 135,000-member military trained killers imploding. All they had was their faith. And some, you know, torches. It took, it took Gideon believing in God's word. It took him saying, you know what? My entire life, I've been told I'm not good enough. My entire life, I've been laughed at, I've been mocked. But you know what? That's not what God says about me. I'm a mighty man of valor. It took him standing alongside of God, getting rid of the things of the past and moving on in the future with God took an active pursuit in relationship of God, and then lay down the groundwork, Gideon. Lay it down. Took Gideon believing in everything God said. It took him saying, God, I'll have the faith, and you have the fight. I'll get everything ready. I'll do, I'll do exactly what you told me to do. I'll lay out this red carpet, and then I'll get the heck out of the way and let you do what you do best, and then I'll praise you before, after, and during. Because that's the only thing you can do in the presence of that much power is get out of the way and worship. So at the end of the day, you've got to ask yourself, are we really underdogs? I don't think so. I think that's just something we've been commissioned to believe. My friends can tell you this. I'm a pretty cocky guy. I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty like chest out, uh, kind of walk around with a strut with a certain swagger in my step kind of guy. I never feel like an underdog. 
It has nothing to do with me. I'm nothing special. But I understand who has my back. I understand that no matter what happens, no matter what I face, the person that's standing next to me is bigger and more powerful by like a number that doesn't exist. You know what I'm saying? You get it? I mean like with God having my back, I can look struggles, trials, tribulations, pain, hell. Man, Satan himself, I can look dead in the eye and say, bro, is that all you got? Seriously? Seriously, that's what you bring? Temptation? What does God say about me? He says, I am a child of his. He says that he's come before me, fought this battle and already won it. You're just here. Man, you showed up, but you got nothing. Let me tell you what I got. I got the maker of the universe at my back. So I'm walking into this situation. I'm saying, bring some more. You're insignificant. You're nothing. In the face of my God. Please. Are you kidding me? Get that weak stuff out of here. You're a stain on my father's shoe. Is that all you got? Come on. Come on. You know? Man, we act afraid. Man, we act like wimps. Oh God, how are you going to get me out of this? He done got you out of it. He got you out of it 2,000 years ago. As Christians, we're not made to be cowards. Never. Never. Is that all you got? I'll close with this. It starts with a decision. It starts with saying, I'm more than a person. I'm more than what this world labels me. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made by a creator that loves me dearly. So much so that he separated a piece of himself. That piece came, came down. His son came down and sacrificed, and sacrificed himself. That doesn't make me sound very insignificant, does it? It starts with saying that you want a relationship with Jesus Christ. It starts with a declaration of who you stand with and the beginning of that faith. And if you've never made that decision, I encourage you today, join the kingdom of God. Become a child of God and experience that freedom and that confidence that he fills us with. Father in heaven, I thank you for today. I thank you for the people in here today. I don't know what Satan is telling people, but I do know this. He is the master of lies. We're not weak. We're not underdogs because of you, because of your power coursing through our veins. If you're seated next to someone you love, go ahead and take their hand if you're comfortable doing that. Father, I pray over everyone in this room. We band together as an army of God that has more power at our disposal than all of the militaries, all the groups in the world could hope to hold. We speak against the lie of the enemy that we are weak, that we're not good enough, that we are just these insignificant nothings. We speak against that and we believe that we hold your power in our veins, in our spirits, in our minds, and in our hearts. I speak against lies of the enemy today and I pray that we all have this confidence as we leave today. We love you and we worship you. I'm gonna say one more prayer. So go ahead and keep your heads bowed if you don't mind. Um, This is an opportunity to give your life to Christ. 
And maybe that's something you're thinking about today. Maybe that's something you know nothing about. Let me tell you, it's the best decision that you'll ever make. And we're not gonna embarrass you. We're not gonna ask you to come forward. You can do this right from where you're sitting. It's a decision between you and God. But in order to pray this prayer, I need to know that there are people in here that want to make that decision. So today, if you wanna give your life to Christ, just slip your hand up, slip it down. I'll just wait a couple more moments and then we'll move on. Father in heaven, I thank you for today. I thank you for all that you've done for us. I trust that we all live for God, but if not, I pray that we come to terms and give our lives to you. We worship you. We thank you for the confidence that we have as children of God. And we pray for big things for each other and for Faith Co. Church. We love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.